Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Fairly similar. I mean, at least that's nice. How, how are things there on the East Coast? Um, with regards to what? The protests, the bad air, the bad air quality, or the everything, pandemic? Man. Everything. <laughs> things are fine. Um, it's uh, you know, it's um, they, there's a there's a citywide mask mandate, like even on public sidewalks. So wow. you walk out and like you're immediately reminded that we're in the middle of it still. Yeah. But at the same time, like it's. Like, it was bad here with that early on, and now it's, you know, like, one of the better places. So, like, I was in Roanoke for a long, for the bulk of this, but now being here, it's like, all right, well, it's it seems better here, which is weird because I'm in a bigger place, you know? Wow. See, like, I, I grew up in, like, the suburbs of New Jersey, and that's where I was for most of the summer, and, like, we got none of it. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, now I'm in Phoenix. Where it was a bad spot for all of that at one point during the summer. I haven't really noticed too much of it there, but, like, I mean, you step outside and you basically like see what's going on. I mean, that's insane. Mm-hmm. Have you yeah. uh, have you been able to do any sort of broadcast? Like, is anything happening right now? Even with like the the yard rail dogs, it's like anything. No. Um, so for the rail yard dogs, no, they're uh, like we're delayed until um, at at least mid to late December. Like that's when the SPHO is targeting, but really just um reading between the lines on things it's all going to depend on uh what local like the local government and the state government regulations because like my boss has said publicly in a couple of interviews like look if we don't have a uh, if we if we don't have more fans that we're legally allowed to have in the stands that would be right now like we cannot participate in this season because financially it just wouldn't work so uh, um, so, and freelance stuff, I haven't, like, I haven't been on air, dude, since March. Like, it's, you know, uh, getting getting a little antsy with it, other than, you know, like, doing some digital stuff for uh, for the team with interviews, Zoom stuff like this, so. Yeah. I mean, this is basically the only thing people can do in that business, right? right? Is Zoom call. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, it's funny, I've noticed with podcasts, like, everybody, even you can hear it on, like, the audio, like, you know, like, even bigger podcasts have switched from having a phone in to just doing it over Zoom, and that's that's kind of funny, like, tuning into something I hadn't listened to in a couple of months, and they're like, oh, yeah, I used to do this on a phone interview with a regular guest, and now they're doing it on Zoom, but yeah, you're right, I mean, this is kind of what you can do um, easiest and safest it's kind of funny to see like some broadcasters and analysts out there doing it like live from their homes they got the microphones someone asks them a question it's like that five second delay where they're just smiling and sitting there and they're just like yeah john you know yeah i it's it's like i mean i used to play that game almost with myself watch be it local news or like espn for sports center and you just kind of count the seconds and wait when they're you know in their ifb because there's always a delay yeah. and yeah, i've seen that even more now people just like going over their whole wi-fi it's nuts i mean there's even like big radio shows like they i remember at first like the first few months they didn't even have the, like that audio as if like like if we didn't have 
great connection. If we had poor connection here, that's what they were working with, like in March and April. Do you ever listen to uh, Dan Levitard? Mm-hmm. So what they were doing early on, where it literally was like a Zoom screen and the producer holding the, the like the headset mic to the laptop, it was like I, I I almost wondered if it was performance art because they like try to be like, well, it's bad, it's good sometimes, but they're like, there had to be a better way to do do this and get that audio for ESPN Radio. I know. I, I, I grew up watching the Michael K show and the, all of those guys were remote and the audio, like they literally spent an hour saying like, yeah, their audio is bad. Their audio is bad. Uh, Howard Stern's audio is all right. Like they were just like listing all the like different audios that were good, not good. Like, yeah, he's really kicking ass right now. Him not so much. Like it's, it's pretty bad. We should probably get, get back to normal pretty soon. Like for you, you, you grew up, did you grow up in Roanoke? No, I um, I'm close to home right now, being in DC. I uh, I grew up for, I grew up in the DC suburbs in um, Burke, Virginia, which is basically just a postal designation. Like it's a it's just a group of you know suburban neighborhoods that they just all right. Well, I, this is this is now a town. But yeah, I'm I'm from Northern Virginia, so the DC area. So what kind of sparked your interest in sports broadcasting? Like, at what age did you decide? Was it more towards like college days that you decided, or were you one of those that like determined like five years old this is what i wanted to do um it more so in college i mean it's something that was kind of in the back of my mind but i i, I played everything growing up like i was a um i was a pretty good high school basketball player um and like i had division three level offers ultimately decided against that in large part because like all right well what am I gonna go go into debt to play Division three mediocre basketball and be you know a guy who puts up four points a game and then you know not be able to have a bigger school experience and be able to pick you know from a bunch of possible different majors and career paths and it had been I think it's a pretty similar um, story that a lot of people have who at least considered doing this now where it's like all right well I, you know, I'm watching a game alone and I mute it and I do the play-by-play off the TV or if I'm playing a video game. Like, I'm sure you've heard that a thousand times when we talk to people about this. And so, again, kind of something that was in the back of my mind because I love sports. And once I got to college, you know, after, um, after kind of floating a little my freshman year, I got into it the next year uh, at ODU where I went. Um, and it, you know, just kind of make your way over to the student radio station. And luckily enough for me, it was a, uh, it's funny, if I would have gone to like a big broadcasting school, Syracuse of the likes, I probably wouldn't have ended up doing what I do now because I just kind of wandered in with no experience, was like, hey, I'd like to do this. And there was nobody really doing it at ODU. And they're like, all right, well, and before too long, you know, I'm calling the men's basketball games, calling the football games. And then do got a reputation enough as being a decent enough student free labor where they're like, Hey, do you want to do some rain? We wouldn't have had anybody doing the baseball game. If, uh, so it's either you or no audio crowd noise at all. And I'm like, sure, I'll come do it. So it's uh, kind of backing into it after having it in the back of my mind. And, yeah. Um, not, I imagine not that uncommon the story though. So when you first got in, like, was there literally, like, virtually nobody that was doing sports broadcasting at your school? Because I know for me, I go to GCU, and we literally have six broadcasters in the athletic department. So, like, again, there's, like, real no competition there, like, where you would have gone to Syracuse or if I went to Arizona State, where there's, like, 500 kids lining up, chomping at the bid. Like, was there nobody kind of chomping at the bid for you guys when you were at school? Well, when I first got 
uh, you know, to uh, the radio station at ODU, WODU, there was a, um, there was like one guy who was a senior who like, you know, he was, he, he was doing a show, like a sports talk, just yuck it up. Well, let's just talk about things. And he would do some of the games and then he kind of stepped this because he wasn't that, you know, wasn't overly into it. And so I, before too long, kind of became the one who really wanted to do it and kind of didn't have to prove really myself other than, Hey, I have an interest in this. So yeah, pretty much. And then, um, when I was a junior and a senior, you know, some more underclassmen came in who, you know, we kind of built something a little bit more. Now there's actually like, there's a guy who, um, worked with me a couple of years at ODU who, um, now is a TV sports reporter. He had been in Norfolk where ODU is, um, working he worked his way on to the air there and now he's in um, he's in uh, South Carolina in Columbia South Carolina where actually University of South Carolina is and so there are some people who have since kind of made it into a career and I don't no one would describe ODU as a launching pad of course for sports broadcasting like there's um I know Jay Harris who's a sports center anchor for ESPN what is the most notable guy who went to ODU, but yeah, it was pretty much just kind of there. This is a pretty unorganized student station and it turned into get in there and to, you know, make the most of having the ability to get some reps and learn on the fly. Was it a decent setup from like a production standpoint or did you kind of have to like jump over a few ropes to get everything situated in that sense? It was pretty good. I mean, I think there was, you know, somebody had set up like the station itself who had, you know, knew what they were doing sound engineering wise. Um, and the fun, the thing was though, it's like, <laughs> the, there, there are some horror stories um, from like doing a, doing a basketball game. And um, like, you're literally, it was a, you know, a unit where we're dialing in a phone line to the station. And like, it was like a phone call into the station and someone would have to go and answer the phone and plug it in on the board. And then it's just, you know, there's nobody running commercials or anything. Cause it was just like, it was when I first, when, when I was there, it was literally a U street channel. The, the student radio station. It wasn't anything where there was no frequency. There was no dedicated, you know, like tune-in station or Mixler or anything like that. It was a Ustream channel and a closed circuit for the campus TV channel where they had a camera trained on the actual studio and then they pick up the audio coming out of the board. So, like, it had potential and it's gotten a lot better since from what i've seen you know being a few years out of school obviously now um but it's it like there there was one probably my best um this is a little low rent story from my college days was a time where i stayed behind a little later for one of the breaks it was a thanksgiving break to um to do the game because you know as opposed to driving home this would be my junior year i believe as opposed to driving home for um for Thanksgiving, like right when classes were out, I stayed an extra day so I could do the game. And um, we got, went over and to set up the connection in the student radio station. And the students, the student center where the radio station was in was locked. It was straight up, like I couldn't get in with my pass, anything, it was locked. And so I kind of wandered around campus for 20 minutes trying to find some sort of a, uh, some sort of a, 
you know, administrator, somebody with keys, somebody, and eventually a, um, a campus police officer I found who was able to get, get me in there. And, um, and then I rode with him in his police car over to where the, he was like, oh, I'll give you a ride. I didn't let, let me sit in front, not in the back. And, um, and, and so I could go over and do the game. And it was just because their infrastructure wasn't really set up where it's like you had an underclassman who wants to be on air who's going to go be your board op. And so you have a schedule and everything. We're just like, well, let, let's do the game because why wouldn't we do the game? And like there was somebody who did color with me in that game and then who was like lived locally. So he wasn't staying behind. He was just, oh, I'll make a 10 minute drive from my mom's house over to, uh, to the arena and we'll call the game. But. <laughs> There wasn't anybody, any infrastructure. We just decided we were going to do it, and the literal radio station, student center, everything was locked. So it was basically all you. Like, you were all in with everything. We're like, I want to do this, this. And they're like, yeah, go for it. I mean, it's like you're going to be running it, basically. Pretty much, yeah. Like, after a year, and I'm the sports director, you know, and, yeah. and that's when people start coming in, and it, you know, grew a little bit more to again not a juggernaut of like you mentioned an asu or i mentioned on the east coast side of things syracuse where you know they're just churning out a bunch of people who um who are just jumping right in there's all these polished 22 year olds who are you know fresh out with their fancy degree it was more uh yeah just a guy who um wanted to do it and kind of figured it out without too much supervision but we got it done so how many years did you broadcast before they named you the sports director just one (laughs) so so what was that uh, like for you uh, doing that were you like running basically all the operations for like what was the the description for that uh, well, pretty much just kind of like anybody who wanted to do anything related to sports kind of re- reported to me. It was still really informal. Like at, at, at ODU, it was still really kind of like, all right, you guys go, you know, there, there's a student advisor because they needed to have one for, I guess, any technical like campus sponsored club. And they really, you know, they kind of let us all do what we were going to do. And for me, it was like, all right, well, this guy seems pretty serious about the whole sports broadcasting thing. And so they're just like, okay, you want, you want to be the sports director? You're the sports director. And I was, and so then, you know, there were people who came, wandered in interested. And then suddenly we got some people doing a sports talk show and then they would, anybody who was interested in doing the games, you know, we turned it into a rotation. We ended up doing a thing where, like I mentioned about freshmen who wanted to get on air and we didn't have that at first, it turned into, okay, well, you know, be, be around the station to answer, you know, the call back and get us on the air and we'll, and you can do however you want to a pregame intermission postgame show, you know, for, um, for football, for basketball, for whatever we were doing. And, since it was since there was no hierarchy anything like that it was really anybody who wanted to do it was willing to be back there to you know to be a person in the station we i I was like all right well we'll we'll just all learn on there together so yeah it wasn't anything really that formal it was uh let's try to build this into something at least while we're here that seems like it would have been a fantastic time like how how much money went into that (laughs) not a lot man it was just uh there, there the the equipment the equipment was there already and everybody's, you know, working for free and because they just want the experience and it's like, all right, let's figure it out. So I, you know, I did, did I'm dating myself a little bit here cause I graduated in 2013, but it's, um, it's, yeah, it's from what I remember, $0 and zero cents. 
So what did they have the, 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 like the cameras and everything from a production standpoint there for? So literally there was just a camera. So, uh, to, because I think that it was originally set up where I guess we'll make this a, um, this, this radio station. I don't know if it was planned on being a TV production thing also. And it turned into that where years in the, in the years since I graduated, they now have like a, a formal, um, like TV news, uh, thing that they're doing they're putting on a news report show and people are getting to learn and getting on camera experience but you know, when i was there it was just there was like up in the corner so like you know up over my shoulder somewhere there's just a, a stationary camera and it is trained on like where the console would be so if it's a person doing a music show where they're you know coming on and talking a little bit about what you know, and this here's this new song from these guys and then throwing to it you know like people would do on a on a music yeah. radio station or if they had an interview or if it was a talk show where they're talking about sports or culture or what have you and it's you know three four people sitting around crammed in this station literally there's just a camera trained on us i guess so it could be a campus thing and you can try to get some interest from the um from the student body um there <laughs> i i remember meeting people later on they you know they found out that i worked that i did some stuff with the with the student radio station they'd be like yeah i i remember one time you know me and my buddies were just hanging around and we flipped on that kit that channel and we were like they gave out the phone number and so we called in and they were just like shocked and we just watched them jump up because it wasn't a thing that had a lot of you know eyeballs on it it was just kind of there it was just a place where you can make a ton of mistakes at least when i was there you could go and all right it's figured out on the fly i mean if i go back if i ever dug up any of my college tapes from you know when i was at school oh you're a senior now right right so if I was listening to myself back when uh, probably by senior year, I at least had figured it out a little bit. But, you know, the first times on air, I'd probably be horrified right now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Whoever decided that I was anyone you'd allow a live microphone. But it's for me, it was a great way to just kind of learn on the fly with and um, make the mistakes and learn from your mistakes and learn that you need to be your biggest critic. And um and get to the point where I could do it professionally. I think about that stuff every day, like 10 years, like five years from now, like one year from now, what I'm going to think about, like whether it's like podcast interviews like this or like on-air stuff with uh, with college, I'm going to be like, oh my God, like why did I even start this? Like why, why, was, why did I even do this? Would you remember any like specific things like that you said on the air that you were like, oh my God, like, did I really just say that on the air like when you were in college or like one of your first few jobs out of college? If, if I did, I've completely blacked it out of my memory yeah. of the specifics. Um, I, but you know, I, I think anybody who ever digs out an old, you know, goes through your old computer files and find your, you know, for one of your earliest demos, you're just, you hear yourself make these mistakes that even, even just stumbling so much or just the way you sound, because obviously you're not going to be as confident on air when you first start. So uh, I, I couldn't give you any specific, like, I said this at this time because, again, my, my, my mind has been kind enough to me to wipe it from my, from my memory. But just, just the overall quality, I think, is what would horrify me. Well, I mean, that whole experience in college sounds like you're both learning on the run, like you said, with everybody involved, but at the same time running it yourself. So, like, I'm mm -hmm. sure a lot of employers were kind of impressed, like, by that when you originally started applying for jobs what was your first job out of college so directly out of college um i i didn't immediately get something on air i 
moved home right after graduating and I start and I got a job as a um, a board op at Sirius XM out of DC uh, where just literally I was a guy who for all of their play-by-play channels because they carry games like all of the major sports the four major professional sports and then the um the in college and everything and a lot of a lot of times they just needed somebody physically in there to run commercials when it was supposed to be you know a network thing as opposed to picking up for the the commercial from the local one and again just pretty much a guy to connect things so i um i did that and was doing some freelance stuff to get some get some more tape get some more reps so in that not quite a year i was you know working for sirius xm and i um i was doing freelance local high school stuff with um with a group called synthesis multimedia and they were doing the thing called they had a website called dmvstream.com where dc maryland virginia for dmv anybody who's not from this area and because uh, there's a lot of high school sports going on so um i got to do some some football some some high school basketball and I um, actually, even though there's not really much of a hockey scene in um, in terms of high school hockey in the D.C. area, I started doing high school hockey, which was isn't even a varsity sport at any high schools around here unless they're private. So it's like a club sport. And there are some teams even that had two schools combined because they didn't have enough hockey players from the club from the one school. But just because I wanted to get more hockey tape, um, didn't have much from college, just when being around um, – being around a little bit the pro team in Norfolk, the Norfolk Admirals, I got a little bit there from my interned with them for a season. But so I basically spent that time my first year out of college trying to gather as much tape as possible. Then I got eventually got a summer college um, baseball job with the Martinsville Mustangs, the Coastal Plain League in uh, South Central uh, Virginia. And so those were that that was the early years. Wow. So what was like the first job that you had where you're kind of like, holy shit, like I'm like now in this business, like now, like the butterflies are kind of rolling. Like, what was that first experience like? Um, probably I probably would have felt like, OK, I'm legitimately in this business. It would have been when I got a job. It was right after Martinsville because that was that was almost it. But it was also uh, it felt so similar to college where there were like I got there and everything was meat was not being run very well to be honest in terms of like they it was you know three people figuring out and it wasn't that you know people in in the organization were doing things well but i'm talking about like what i inherited on the broadcast side like we spent probably the first couple of weeks um dealing with internet issues that turned out to be two different networks basically fighting each other and it was taken down the broadcast every 30 seconds and so i'm suddenly like i felt like college again where i'm just trying to figure out a way to jerry rig things and get things on air but my job directly after that um i went up to vermont actually and i was the voice of middlebury college hockey um, I worked for a radio station up there out of Middlebury, Vermont, which is about 40 minutes south of Burlington, where the University of Vermont is. And the only reason I was able to go up there because it was a paid-by-the-game situation where there's also a radio group that I could get some you know, additional part-time work for. But I happened to have an aunt who worked for the University of Vermont, and I was able to stay with my aunt and uncle and my cousins up there for free. The only reason I was able to take that job but I think just the sheer 
uh, com the combination of driving that far away from home, even though I was living with family, for a job and working for an actual, uh, by God, over-the-air radio station frequency, that was probably the first time I felt like, okay, I'm in the business. I'm, do I'm doing what I I'd wanted to get into hockey. Here I am calling hockey on the radio, hundreds of miles from home. We're getting somewhere. Right. And hockey's your number one, right? Because obviously you've been with Roanoke for almost five years now, right? Yeah, I got four seasons under my belt with the dogs. So, yeah, uh, hockey is my favorite to work in. It's um, it's my favorite sport yeah. probably in general. And so, yeah, it's uh, hockey would be, I guess, my number one. Did you grow up a Capitals fan? I, I did. A wild guess? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Caps have – I've. it's – I've been watching them since um, since they had the Screaming Eagle jerseys before they went to the Rock the Red era. You know, they that's I've watched a heck of a lot of Washington, bad Washington Capitals hockey before um, before they turned into what they are now. So where were you when they won? When they won the cup? <laughs> this is actually a good story. So um, <laughs> the Railyard Dogs are owned. The majority of the ownership is uh the mcginn family i don't know how big of a hockey fan you are but um there are three professional hockey players uh all of whom have at least been in the nhl at one time they were all in the nhl together it's jamie mcginn who briefly played for the coyotes actually um ty mcginn who's been mostly an ahl guy but has been in the nhl as well and brock mcginn the youngest of them he plays for the carolina hurricanes and so they were in town along with their um along with their dad who kind of represents the majority ownership group and has like a role with with the organization where he oversees some stuff they were all in town it was of course the summer and the off season for us but they were in roanoke doing a uh, a camp where like youth hockey grow the local youth hockey scene you know here's the not only the owners of the rail yard dogs a local pro team but nhl players who are you know get some experience with them it's it's a whole thing it's great they do it every year and um so it was after the last day of their camp and they had after the last day the last session they had a thing where some local men's league guys could come basically play you know we'll pick up shitty hockey with them and so we all met up like the or the people who work for the team people around the organization ownerships and we basically overtook the upstairs of a bar downtown called uh, 202 and they had the game on a big projector on the screen and it's you know it's the capitals it's the team i grew up watching they're gonna they're trying to win the stanley cup i'm sitting directly next to a guy who is plays in their division brock mcginn with the hurricanes and it's like i feel like you know i gotta be a little bit more subdued here because it's like a little professional somewhat professional atmosphere even though we're in a bar and like you know these guys are the owners and the team and bosses are around and everything and like all right he put in it ended up being cool because I was able to talk to some, like, he was, he just gave me some takes on, like, oh, yeah, playing against this guy, it's, you know, this is difficult, oh, you can't move him, he's like a house, and, like, what goes on when there's a big scrum, what are they saying in the middle of that, and basically guys are, you know, just yelling F you at each other, but um, it was, it was weird because here I am, watch the Capitals win the Cup, and directly next to me is one of the owners of the team who happens to play against them in their same division. That's unbelievable, dude. And you growing up a big fan. I mean, did you kind of keep your composure or was it more yeah. on the lines of like total fandom when they won? 
I mean, you know, you're happy and there's other Caps fans around that you're high-fiving, but I'm not, like, screaming blackout or anything, which probably at this stage of um, my career, having worked in pro sports long enough, you know, you, you, the diehard goes away a little bit. Like, of course, I still I love the game, love being around it, but you don't live and die with absolutely every second. Especially, I mean, you call games, so you know you have no like fans everybody who the only people who have any any effect on what's going on on the field on the ice on the court are the players like we have no effect changing your seat because the team has struck out a bunch of times in a row in baseball or slump or whatever that's not going to change any mojo like the first time i really remember that hitting me was um i was you know there was still a commercial running and the game started i was like but i'm I'm not ready yet it's like oh what I'm doing up here doesn't matter for what's going on really down there. Right. So just realizing how little effect you have on it makes you, I think a little bit less of a live and die with every moment, but at the same time to circle it back. Yeah, of course I was pretty pumped. Just like in private, like just give me one second. Oh, like <laughs> It's more like one of the local owners um, uh, for the rail yard dogs. She says a tiny little sliver um, is a guy who's from Hershey and grew up watching the Hershey bears and the caps top affiliates. So became a big caps fan from that. And so it's like, you seek him out and high five him, you know, have some moments with people who were, had a big rooting interest, you know, you got to find the people who are pumped and then you can be pumped with them. Now, did you grow up a baseball fan too, or was it more along the lines of just like, that's the most opportunities I'm assuming, especially in like minor league baseball. Oh, I was a baseball fan. I'm still a baseball fan. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I played, you know, up until high school baseball. Uh, I probably peaked athletically as a 12 year old who was too big for the little field. So, you know, it'd be the guy, it's like, there's me at, you know, almost six feet. And then there's like a little four foot 10 pitcher throwing to me. I grew early. Um, but yeah, grew up a big baseball fan. Um, I remember when the nationals came to DC and it's like, all right, suddenly my dad, a huge baseball fan, suddenly they're on all the time. <laughs> so, yeah. What was it? Do you remember what that was like? That was last year when they won the world. Yeah. See, like yeah. 20 feels like a four year period. Like that was last year. <laughs> That was like 10 yeah. months ago. Yeah. Yeah. That would have, that would have been October. Um, so yeah, I, uh, I was prob- probably more of a crazy fanboy for those ones, especially because I watched that team lose a hundred games multiple times and, yeah. and then they weren't supposed to be any good last year. Um, especially after, you know, they lost Bryce Harper and they started off so poorly. So that one actually uh, well, probably shouldn't surprise you that I really like listening to baseball on the radio. And I love the Nationals uh, radio crew, Charlie Slows and Dave Jagler. They're two of my favorites. And especially when I was, especially when I worked in baseball, I would listen to them a lot because it's like, all right, well, I always, I always learned that you listen to guys who you think are good because subconsciously you're going to pick things up from them. Yeah. And you maybe not be straight up imitating them, but pick up, you know, ways that they approach things, phrases from them, et cetera. And so when it became apparent that they're going to win this thing and, you know, uh, Daniel Hudson was on the mound closing it out, I pulled up on my phone the radio call and I, um, and so I had it low and it was behind because it was streaming over my phone. It was behind the TV broadcast. So I watched it happen. I'm jumping up and down and immediately muted it and then turned it up and had it next to my ear so I could hear Charlie Slow's final call. Wow. Okay. So for you, in, in broadcast, like you mentioned, Martinsville and some of those early uh, uh, opportunities that you had, like you're working broadcasting, you're doing media relations, you're, you're probably doing a 
bunch of other things. Like, how are you able to like manage everything all at once? You kind of mentioned how some of it was really unorganized early on, and I'm sure it was, especially in the Coastal Plain League. I worked in uh, uh, broadcasting for the Gastonia Grizzlies, who are now in the Coastal Plain League. And it was just like so unorganized, like to the point where it's like, what are we doing here? Like, I like I feel like I could, you know, like do this myself if I wanted to. But like, there's just like real, real no, uh, I want to say there wasn't leadership. There was, but like it could have been done better, you know. Mm-hmm. So for you, how did you how were you able to juggle all those things at once doing media relations, broadcasting, et cetera? Well, I, pro- I when I was when I was in Martinsville, I definitely wasn't on the full like i really know what i'm doing media relations side as well and i mean again it's it was that's why i kind of compared it to when i was in college like this is a place where you can kind of learn as you go and like i wasn't putting together game notes for every game there i didn't know really that was a thing at that point um I, you know i knew that would have been expected at that time especially because we didn't really have any media covering us in martinsville virginia uh just every once in a while someone would come out and yeah. you know slap something together but they um i I really kind of learned how to do that when I got into the minor leagues the next year uh, in 2015. And I worked for the Salem Red Sox, which in the Roanoke area. And um, I worked with a guy, his name's Kevin Burke, um, who he was the, you know, he, he was the lead voice there. I was the broadcast media relations assistant and it was his first time as a lead voice, but he really kind of showed me, you know, how to do all this. Cause it's a, especially in the minors, it is every damn day. And you are churning out these, you know, game notes, everything. Uh, and then the, po- and the post game recap and uh, graphics, all this stuff. And so really he, you know, kind of slowly showed me little by little. And then by the, by the, um, the end of that, I felt like I was pretty much, you know, this is something that I, understand more know how to do know how to manage the time everything you get in the routine i mean really in baseball and minor league baseball if you don't figure out the routine you're screwed so you don't and you don't want to be the guy especially there becomes such a community of like people at broadcasters within the league you know everyone knows each other because you you know these are the people who are going through the same thing as you ride the bus you know showing hey you know, good to see you so tell me this crazy story where you know, did the bus break down whatever and they're the ones who are putting in the same crazy work hours and it turns into almost i don't want to be the guy who when when somebody comes back from a road trip from my ballpark or my arena or wherever where they're like oh you see that operation over there. And so Kevin really kind of taught me both, like how everything worked. And, um, you know, we turned into a well-oiled machine and then it was the same. And then it was the same thing the following summer. I was in, um, in 2016, I was in Binghamton with the then Binghamton Mets before they were the rumble ponies. That was the last season of that working with a guy named Tim Hyman. And, um, we, uh, you know, it was the same, it would pretty much hit the ground running and we were, you know, we, we always wanted to be better than the level we were at. It was the same thing with Kevin when we were in high A. It's like, you don't, you don't want to put, put together a single A level output. You want to be as close to big league as possible with the work you're doing. And it was the same thing when we were in, um, when I was in Binghamton. So really those two guys kind of showed me most really how to handle the media relations duties as well as the broadcasting thing. And I think kind of baptism by fire in minor league baseball is the best way to learn it. Because then when I got to, uh, 
the rail yard dogs in the, in the hockey world where as instead of six or seven games a week, it's two or three, like it wasn't overwhelming at all because even when it was a back to back and, you know, there'd be one on Friday and then you got to get everything ready for the Saturday game or the Sunday game. Then, you know, I did, I did this all the time in baseball. So, right. So that Salem job that, that must've been a culture shock for you because not only are you doing all that, like putting together the media guides, putting together your own notes, because like for you, like you're basically putting together what you're going to be saying on the air. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it was a culture shock a little bit in the, all right, now I'm a place where people are paying attention. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there had been some of that because the job that preceded that was when I was in Vermont doing the college hockey, but I wasn't doing media relations as well. So then you get into not only am I, you know, at a place where things are being taken a little bit more seriously, but also, you know, there there are prospects coming through here and there are eyes on what we're doing. And so, and, you know, media coverage was pretty good for the local Roanoke media. It's all right. We have to make sure that we're putting together a good product for everybody who wants to pay attention for the other broadcasters as well. And yeah, that was something that Kevin taught me that, Game notes aren't something you should look at as a slog. You should look at it as, this is great. I'm doing my prep. I know what I'm going to talk about on air. I'm going to have plenty because you go through and you have you hit all the main storylines and everything. And then, yeah, you're going to want to do some additional prep for kind of more in-depth stuff to talk more about the starting pitcher, everything. But it gets you such a good head start on all the information you need to be able to spit out when you're calling the game. Yeah, and, and before you join the rail yard dogs, like for you, like you always said you wanted to be – in hockey because it's your number one sport and you've been there like you just said for four years you got four seasons under your belt like were those jobs in 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 Birmingham and in Salem kind of just like the uh like I don't want to call them like prep jobs for you but like experiences that you knew that you weren't going to stick around for a while no no I I love calling baseball I mean there are times when it's a slog when you know you're in late july and it's you know 96 degrees and you've done the same thing over and over again but i um i i kind of was still planning that you know if there's something that if the right thing is available that hoping to be able to bounce from hockey to baseball to hockey to baseball and make it work because this guy i knew in college who i interned with my uh my senior year um who was the at the time the voice of the norfolk admirals who were in the ahl at the time and had been for a while the voice of that team and he was also the voice of the norfolk tides the triple a team in norfolk uh their orioles affiliate and i thought wow that's great be able to do both year round, go from one to the other. And so, yeah, I was never, I'd never looked at baseball. Like this is just getting me the experience that I need. I mean, it kind of ended up that way, but it was, you know, it's, it, it's just kind of the path that you end up taking, you know, whatever the opportunities take you. And for me, it ended up that the hockey job was where I've stuck in hoping to, you know, keep moving up. So what was the story behind getting the job in Roanoke? Like, obviously, you've been there for as long as you've been. You've obviously fell in love with that whole scenario. What was that story all about? So I, um, the previous winter, I had worked, um, I was doing radio for Radford, uh, men's and women's basketball. And Radford's about an hour down the road from uh, the Roanoke area. It's a Division One school, and I had known somebody who was there, who was the women's voice on, on radio. And they were switching things up to the point where they were doing like a telecast at home for, for their conference for the Big South Network, just all online, but a 
full TV style and they had radio contracts. And so they needed, they still needed the rate home games on the radio. So what they were, what they ended up doing was they slid uh, the voices of the men's and women's teams for the home games over to do these telecasts. And I was brought in to cover the radio. And so I had done that the previous winter and I had always kind of been looking in hockey, looking for something that could be a little bit more full time where I would, you know, just be get paid by the, uh, by the game, trying to fill the gaps, what have you. And um, I mentioned him a few minutes ago, Kevin Burke, who I worked with with the Salem Sox. He had been approached by my now boss um, about potentially working for the dogs because he was the voice of the Salem Sox still. And that was the other pro team in town. And he had an offseason gig doing a high point basketball uh, down in North Carolina. And so basically, you know, considered it briefly, but it turned into, uh, no, but I've got a guy. And so he reached out to me and said, hey, look, there's this new hockey team coming into Roanoke and uh, they're looking for, you know, a broadcaster. And um, and he put me in touch and you now I work for the Rail Yard Dogs. So I, you just like love the overall atmosphere? Is it more along the lines like this is what you wanted to do sports wise? Like you're just comfortable with it? I mean, it's a a little bit of both i'd say like it's a good place it's a it's a really good organization to work for i mean the um it's it's funny everybody kind of when because this was the first this was the inaugural season 2016 17 when i when i jumped on and you know everybody's young everybody was kind of the same age and it was figuring it out together and it's a good place to work and there was it turned into all right well i want to be in hockey this is a great place to be this is a great place to work um, in hockey and, you know, if there's the possibility to move up up the ladder in professional hockey, then that, you know, I'd take that opportunity. But as far as having a, having a something somewhat stable, it turned into I can be here. And then when baseball paths didn't really end up opening themselves up for to do what I was talking about, potentially bouncing from baseball to hockey. Um, it, you know, turned out that I was able to make the work with the dogs, my work. So. Interesting. And you obviously got your broadcast side and then you're uh, creating graphics, creating more content. How, how did you go about kind of developing those skills when it comes to like creating stuff for social media and things of that nature? I'm almost completely self-taught on any sort of like any of the Adobe programs, anything like that. Um, it helps. I'm not the only one who puts out content. The last couple of years, we had somebody who that was a big part of the job and doing more video stuff. But really, it's just kind of opening up the, the program and figuring it out. Like I with Photoshop, um, you know, I've had some people show me some stuff, but what I found the most uh, helpful with that is you look at a graphic you like that somebody else made, some other team, pro team, be it you know, the NHL, MLB, whatever, and you think, wow, that looks good. Let me see if I can do it. And you base and you and when you hit a roadblock, like how do I make this? You Google it, and there I don't know who these people are, but God bless them. There are millions of YouTube tutorials out there. It's like here's how you do this, and it's like I don't know why they did that. Why they've spent their time like showing step by step how to do this in in Premiere, how to do this in After Effects, how to do this in Photoshop. But if they didn't exist, I wouldn't know how to do anything. So. Right. Yeah, uh, that that's really it's just learn by doing really for any of that stuff, creating graphics for social media, for any sort of technical work that I learned how to do. 
Interesting. And for you, like, what's your main goal as a play-by-play voice? Do you, would you rather do what you do now just for a team, like you're with that team every day, kind of building those relationships, building that chemistry, or would you want to be a network broadcaster one day? I'll take either, whatever you're offering. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, obviously you, you want to go as far as you can with it. Like for me, having worked in hockey for the last four seasons and loving hockey the way I do, the ultimate goal would be to call NHL games. And I'm not, I'm not picky enough to say like me, ah, yeah, I, yeah, it might be okay to work for a team, but I really want to work for you know, the networks, carry it on. Like really whatever path opens up, that's kind of the way that I've always looked at it. Like you don't, I try not to say no to opportunities and figure it out from there. I do like being the voice of a specific team because you get to build, like you mentioned, relationships with the team and then also with the fans. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost trippy, but I couldn't tell you how many times I've been walking in the concourse before a game and um, somebody greets me, you know, very informally, like, Hey Brian, what's going on? And I have never seen that person in my life, but they feel like they know me. And I think that's kind of cool. Like where it's, it's somebody who has, has feels like there's a relationship because they listen to the games. They watch the games on the road and they hear my voice and it's, I had a I had a, a fiance of a, well now fiance then girlfriend of a player tell me about just like you wouldn't believe just how much time I've spent just with your voice and it's it's you you become associated with the team and I think that's cool and I mean once you get past the kind of strange thing of these people thinking that feeling like they know you when it's off putting because they're like have I seen you before? Do I know your name? Who are you? But at the same time, it's, it's kind of a cool relationship. So I do like that. But if you're talking about ultimate end goal, I'm not picky. I just want to get as far as I can. I mean, that's interesting. That's kind of like you walking up to Charlie Slows after a game and being like, thanks so much for being part of my life. It's like, Oh, (laughs) yeah. Like that. And that, and I think that's why I enjoy it is because I have, being who I am and listening to as much of my teams as I have, because like, I like, if I go for, if I go work out at night, go for a run later, walk my dog and the one, and there's a game on, I put it on, I pull it up if I can. And I listen while you know, I'm doing that. And so you feel like you, you start to know, you feel like, you know, the guys, and I obviously doing what I do, I know it's a little bit different, but I do feel like I have a similar relationship to, you know, some of my favorite teams voices or my favorite broadcasters in general that I like to seek out and listen to that some fans have with me. And I think that's kind of a cool thing. Who besides like some of the names that we've mentioned were kind of like your inspiration as broadcasters growing up, like who were some of the voices, you know, besides like the Charlie slows of the world that uh, kind of influenced you? My favorite all time and probably wouldn't really surprise anybody knowing that, you know, as a hockey play by play guy, it's Doc Emmerich's the king. He's, he's just the best. And you said you're a Jersey guy, right? So you remember him and the devils. Yeah. So that's that he's, he, um, he's not the first one that really sparked a like, Oh, it'd be interesting to see if I could, if I could do that too. But he's, he's the one who, I look up to the most who I think is just an absolute master of the craft. It's doc. Um, and I, the capitals TV guy, Joe Beninati is probably the first guy I really noticed of, Hey, he's really good. And what does he do again? Kind of, when I was a kid like that, you know, noticing that I enjoy 
in part watching these games because I like spending time with this voice. But really, Doc is the idol, and there. And I think anybody who tell who said that there's somebody who's better at calling hockey is wrong because there just isn't. He's the master. Right. So like, you grew up a big hockey guy. I grew up a big baseball guy. I had Michael Kay with the Yankees, John Sterling on the radio. Uh, obviously, Joe Bucks is number one when it comes to a national broadcast with Fox. How long did it take you to kind of like find your own voice? Because for me, like I'm emulating the guys I grew up with, like right out of the get go, like my first few broadcasts. Like how long did it take you to kind of find like your own niche, your own voice, your own personality on the air? Um, it would have been probably when I was in Salem. I think that's because in large part because Kevin and I developed a really good chemistry and like we spent an obscene amount of time together. Like we traveled together, we, you know, sat next to each other on the bus. Cause I go on, I was on the majority of the road trips, but not all of them was the number two guy. Um, we had team provided housing where we lived together. You know, we worked together all day and lucky that we got along, but we, and so we had a good chemistry that came onto the air and to a certain extent, cause we'd alternate innings of course, where he would end up doing six of them as play by play and I'd do three, but we, uh, for the most part, would let each other, you know, steer, but there'd be some crosstalk and, um, it, you know, we developed our chemistry and I think it just, it helped bring out of me that you're just be yourself when you're on the air. I mean, obviously I, I don't remember who it first was, but uh, it was pointed out to me at one point that you, you want anybody listening to feel like you're just talking to them. Like, it's not like a big formal thing where here I am telling you about this very important game. Like the best, I think, radio broadcasts and play-by-play are when somebody feels like it's just you and whoever you're listening to and you're having a conversation. So that's really started to click, I think, when I was in Salem because it, I, you know, I realized that, one, you can bring some personality onto the air and just be who you are yourself, and it helped that Kevin and I were, had the good chemistry and enjoyed being around each other. Mm-hmm. And, two, that you, even though you want to take things from guys that you respect and think are good at this and that you enjoy listening to, you also don't want to be a poor man's version of them. Like you don't want to go on there and and be an imitation of Doc Emmerich, of like you said, Michael K, Joe Buck, of um, of Charlie Slows, Dave Jaguar. You don't want to be. Oh, this guy sounds like he's trying to be that guy who I listened to on the national level. Right. No, you want to be who you are. So, how, so for you, how did you kind of? mature into that like your own voice like were there times where you're like okay maybe i had to pull it back a little bit or did you always kind of feel like okay this this kind of works um it just takes time it takes reps i think i mean i'm far from a finished product you know like i'm calling single a level hockey here but i think that one thing i'm always a big proponent of is listening to yourself because you're going to be your biggest critic like you're going to hear you, you a stumble or a certain tone or maybe going over the top for a big play at a certain time further than you should have and be like, what, what, what was that? Like, come on, tighten it up. And so I, you know, I try to listen back to myself and just make adjustments and seeking help. I mean, it's no secret that one of the best ways to get better also is to reach out to people who you think are good at this and ask for, you know, advice, critique, and, 
I, I kind of fell on, I think, my hockey voice a little bit more in large part because of a similar situation where uh, I was put in touch with a guy named Alan Fearing, who's the voice of the Bridgeport Sound Tigers, the AHL affiliate for the Islanders. And um, he gave me a great piece of advice because I was a little bit too ratcheted up you know, calling the games to excite because hockey's fast, man. It's just go, go, go. You're trying to keep up. And he pointed out to me that you need to have more of an ability. Like you need to be able to get higher for the higher plays. Like, sure. There's an exciting goal. You're going to get excited, but you can't have a, a goal that ties the game at two in the second period um, be at, you can't be as excited for that as you are for the game seven overtime winner in the Stanley Cup final. Like there needs to be somewhere higher to go for the more exciting and dramatic moment. And that, and so I listened back to some of like my earlier hockey now and like my first year with the dogs or back earlier than that. I'm like, man, like dude, bring, bring it down a little bit. Like, yeah, this is cool. This is fun. We're having a great time. It's a great game, but Maybe, uh, you know, yeah, it's a good goal, but we don't need to get all the way in the red on the VU right. meter there. Did you feel like you were more, like when you first started, I know you, you say you try not to listen back to the ones you did in college, but for you, were you more, like when you first started, more excited sounding on the air, or were you, was it more monotone? Like when you look back, you're just like, man, I was kind of quiet. Like I didn't really show much emotion. I was bad monotone on baseball for sure i didn't know how to find how to bring the conversational tone and the ebbs and flows with it as well and have enough preparation and material um my first basketball games my first hockey games i was probably too ratcheted up and um choppy so i mean both is the answer (laughs) and the last question i have for you i don't want to take too much of your time here but for you if you could go back uh, and I always enjoy these answers, but if you could go back and give advice to your college self when you're first starting out in broadcasting in school, what would you say? Uh, start a year earlier. Don't waste that freshman year and um, seek, seek help earlier. Be more aggressive because like everybody you reach out to isn't going to be immediately like, yeah, absolutely here. I'll take as much time as you need. But there are so many people who have been helped out along the way and they see somebody who's enthusiastic and wants to get into it. And they're, they're happy to, they're excited to help. So I think that I, again, try to get into it my freshman year right away. Don't waste any time and spend that every second you can getting better and getting, you know, the reps that you need when I'm in college and, you know, there's no urgency about, okay, well, I really need to, you know, I, I need to make sure that I've got the work right. um, and you have time to figure it out. But, and then also just seek more help earlier. And that's something that I still probably don't do as well as I should to, you know, reach out to more guys and try to establish more connections. Cause not only will that help you get better, but it'll get your name out there. And then you're somebody who's known and it could help you get a job. So did you know that you wanted to pursue broadcasting that freshman year or did things kind of just like click, like you had that light bulb your sophomore year when you decided that you wanted to pursue it? I, it was in the back of my mind, um, but I, I mean, I came in undecided on major and, you know, I, I was just kind of figuring it out. And I think that I was young, like I was still, I didn't, I was still 17 when I started college. I have a September birthday and it was a few weeks into my freshman year until I turned 18 and, you know, was legally an adult. I didn't turn 21 until my senior year. So I was young and I think that 
that's probably just a factor of being young that I didn't, you know, what didn't know really how to approach things best in college. I was kind of floating around, you know, worried about being able to make friends and everything, which of course will all come and it's, it's important stuff, but it's just being able to have it click a year earlier would have helped, but it's not like I'm in the worst position in the world now. So. No, man. I mean, you're kicking ass right now with the, uh, the yard dogs and, and thanks so much for taking time out of your day to talk to me. Uh, I didn't want to take too much of your time, a little less than an hour here. I think we're good to go though, but uh, thanks so much. I hope you stay safe where you're at in the DC area and uh, best of luck moving forward, man. Happy to do it, Jack. This was fun. I'm so bummed. I forgot to get my girl tickets for the show tomorrow, and now it's sold out. It's her freaking birthday. Oh, dude. She's only gonna break up with you. She's definitely gonna break up with me. Should've used tick pick. Wait, what'd you say? Tick pick. Look. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. What? There are no hidden fees. What'd you guys think I said? Oh, tick pick. I thought you said tick pick. No hidden fees. Download today. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.